Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. wonderful to be here with you today, especially on Mother's Day, and thank you to Pastor Ross for inviting me. It was also really great to just play a little role in the search for your new worship leader who's here today. Um, and I'm just excited for you guys. He's a really gifted worship leader, and I got to meet he and his wife. They're high-quality people, so y'all got a good one. Um, today is Mother's Day, and I'd like to say a few things about that right away. You know, I think it's great that our culture has set aside these couple of days, moms coming first and then, then dads later, to celebrate moms and grandmas. You know, honoring our parents is something that God uh, commands us to do, although I still haven't found that scripture in the Bible. I know it's somewhere about breakfast and bed and, like, graders later today, maybe. Um, but as wonderful as Mother's Day is, I, I know that it can be challenging for a lot of people There are couples here who've experienced infertility in their marriage and maybe ladies here who would love to be parents but are not married, are still single. There are ladies here who have had children uh, go on to Jesus before them and and there are people here who are not surrounded by family today. So, So although it's a day of celebration and a day of honor, as a community, we are not without sadness and longing, and even grief. And you know, the wonderful thing about our God is that he sees each one of us exactly where we're at today, exactly in the place we're in. He's not waiting for us to be someone else or be in a different place. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And I believe that for each person here today, he has something for you. As I was praying about what to share, I believe God brought the story of Ruth to mind. So the book of Ruth is in the Old Testament. It's about a third of the way in. I'm really bad at remembering the order of the books of the Bible. But I had a childhood friend that always said, Joshua judges Ruth. And so I've always been at least able to find Ruth because Joshua's always judging her. Um, But Ruth tells a story about, surprise, you know, a woman named Ruth. But uh, her story has elements that I think speak to us in a variety of circumstances. And her life is a model of worship for men, for women, for children. How do we live a life of worship? And I think often when church people hear the word worship, we think of music, right? Singing in church. And although that's a, a really big part of how we express worship, you know, when we gather together that only has as much power as the lives we're leading the other six days of the week. And Ruth gives us a great example of how to make our our whole life a song for God. So let's turn uh, to the book of Ruth. If you have a Bible or a smartphone, the scriptures will also be on the screen. And we're going to look at four values in a life of worship. Would you pray with me and just invite the Holy Spirit into this? Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, we do honor every woman that has influenced us. There are some trees that bear fruit and some trees that bear shade. And we are grateful for the women who 
have given us safety and refuge and spoken into our lives and the ones who have given us life. Lord, would you bring this story to life? Would you bring out values of worship that will shape us, make us more like you, help us to honor you better? Ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I am in seminary, which means I don't know everything yet, right? One more year and then I'll, I'll have it all. Just kidding. Um, but I'm going to break a few rules today and try to preach from a whole book of the Bible in about 30 minutes. So let me read a few verses um, from chapter 1, and then I'm going to summarize the story. In the day when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and their two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and in the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malin and Chilians. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. So they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the other Ruth. And when they had lived there about ten years, both Malin and Chilian died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So right away, our story gets set up with a lot of drama. A Jewish family, Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons are suffering because of a famine in Israel. So they migrate to the country of Moab in order to survive. Then Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi a single mom with two boys. And they grow up enough to get married, and they marry Moabite women. And then Naomi and her sons and daughter-in-laws have about ten years together. And then tragedy strikes again, and both of Naomi's sons die. So Naomi is now a widow, and she's lost both of her children. And Ruth and Orpah are young widows. The famine has now ended, and since Naomi has lost all of her immediate family in Moab, she decides to go back to her people in Israel. And at this point, uh, the story's perspective moves to Ruth, the daughter-in-law. I'd like us to notice a few things about Ruth from these opening verses. One is that she's an outsider to the Jewish faith. The people of Moab were pretty much the bad guys in the Old Testament. So these were the girls you didn't want your boys taking to prom or bringing home for Christmas break. They worshipped false gods. Their culture was really different. So it's important to notice that Ruth married an Israelite, and joined a Jewish family. The second thing to notice is that Ruth is married for 10 years before she's widowed, and she doesn't have any children. You might have heard before that in this era, being childless was a huge problem. Unfortunately, it wasn't viewed as a medical issue, but as a sign of a curse from God a sign of disgrace. Maybe you've heard other stories about Rachel or Hannah or Sarah in the Old Testament as women who were desperate to have kids. They were experiencing shame because of the infertility in their marriage. Now, Scripture doesn't say anything about Ruth's struggle, but the fact that she was married for 10 years without a child tells us that their marriage was experiencing infertility. You know, back then there was no birth control, no family planning. So when you got married, you either had kids over and over again or you didn't. And Ruth didn't. So even in these couple of verses, I think Ruth's story can speak to a lot of us. The kind of woman that we're going to see in the rest of the book 
is formed from this experience of pain, of loss, of being different, of unmet dreams. You know, maybe you're like me and you've experienced the loss of miscarriage. Maybe you haven't been able to conceive or maybe you've lost your marriage through divorce or death. Maybe you've just felt like an outsider in life or experienced rejection. All of those experiences, feeling like an outsider, feeling different, feeling lost or pain or suffering, they bring us to a fork in the road. We can choose faith or fear. And our first value is that worship is choosing faith. So let's look at how Ruth responds to all this heartache. Remember, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, has decided to go back to Israel. And at first, both daughter-in-laws set out with Naomi. But Naomi stops them and tells them to go back to her family, their families. She wants them to have a chance to get married again. Uh, My favorite artist, Cody Miller, has done a series of paintings illustrating Ruth's story. And he allowed me to share them with you guys today. So the first is of Orpah and Ruth. You know, Orpah's sad to leave Naomi, but she turns around and heads back to what she knows, what's familiar, her gods, her people, her culture in Moab. Leaving all of that's just too scary. It's too full of risk. But Ruth chooses faith. Listen to this passage. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until Bethlehem. So Ruth chose to follow a God that she could not see. She chose to be a foreigner in a land that she knew was going to be hostile to her. She chose to honor Naomi over her own birth family. And all of these decisions took faith. You know, in this moment, Ruth becomes a worshiper. Worship is simply giving God the worth that he deserves. And Ruth gets it. Even though she can't see God, even though she can't see the future, even though she's experienced great pain, she believes that God is worth her whole life. So what does that look like for us? When we look at our own lives, you know, what parts might we be holding back from God? If we've been hurt or disappointed, are we waiting for those situations to get fixed before we're all in with God? Maybe we're waiting for that job promotion or that family relationship to get resolved, acceptance into the school we really want, or maybe having a child. Where in your life are you waiting to see what will happen before you choose to commit to God? You know, a life of worship is choosing faith. It's choosing to believe in God's goodness even when we don't know how things are going to work out or even if they are. Ruth shows us that with great pain and great uncertainty, we can choose faith. We can show God his worth by having faith in his goodness no matter what. So let's keep looking at Ruth's story. Ruth and Naomi set out on their journey and they make it back to Israel, the town of Bethlehem. And when they get back, they don't have a lot of options. 
In that culture, women were completely dependent um, on the generosity of others, and widows were dependent on the generosity of the community. They couldn't just go get a job or start a new business. They had to be provided for. And Ruth has committed to taking care of Naomi, so she takes the only job open to her. She heads out into the fields to pick up leftover crops that the farmers might drop when they're harvesting. She works really hard, and she gets noticed by the landowner, whose name is Boaz. And Boaz calls her to come and have lunch with him. And she's super nervous because having lunch with the boss is a big deal. She knows she's an immigrant. She's uh, really in that culture, very powerless. She's at risk of being bullied, exploited, even sexually harassed. But Boaz has noticed her. He's noticed the ordinary, unglamorous work that she's been doing. And this is what he says. Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds. May you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come for refuge. Boaz, right here, is noticing the heart of a worshiper. Ruth lives a life of worship by honoring God in the ordinary. That's our second value. Worship is choosing the ordinary. How do we worship God with the ordinary? I think it's about our hearts. You know, when God is looking at our worship, he's looking at our hearts. What's our motivation? Is it resentment or duty or obligation or routine or is it joy and love you know we could be dancing around here on sunday morning but god knows what our heart is do our outward actions match our heart you know ruth's actions her ordinary everyday get up go to work out in the fields take home the grain to naomi all those actions are motivated by love She loves Naomi, she loves God, and her ordinary life is worship to God. And ordinary lives lived out of love get noticed. And she gets noticed by Boaz, the boss. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and just say that it's quite possible for some of the moms in this room, you might feel like you actually are living an ordinary life. Maybe even mundane Maybe even boring sometimes. I remember, well, actually, I don't really remember, but there was a stretch of time in my life where I had three kids under the age of four. And I, I those years are just sort of a blur. Um, a lot of diapers, a lot of cooking and cleaning and messes and cooking and cleaning, <clears throat> multiple preschools, uh, failing and learning and joy and frustration Uh, I'm really glad that my husband has a great memory because my kids, they all want to know their milestones. Like, when did I say that cute thing? And when did I get my first tooth? And it's just all gone. I just don't really remember anything. And right now I'm in the years of the chauffeuring mom, you know, where I just sit outside of things and pick them up and take them to the next place. So you could say, and I have certainly felt that I have a very ordinary life. But I do believe that it's been a life of worship because however imperfectly I do it, I do believe that loving and serving my children is the exact same thing as loving and serving Jesus. 
And for those of you out here today who, who might feel like your lives are just too ordinary to make a difference for the kingdom of God, I want to encourage you. It all matters to him. It's all worship. You can make mowing the grass worship. You can make going to your job worship. You can make parenting worship. You can choose to honor God in every single thing you do, every single thought you have. You know, let God search your heart today. Psalm 31, 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. And the Holy Spirit might show you that you have life divided up into the, the ordinary, not worship, and the spiritual worship. And he wants to combine those worlds. He wants it all. He deserves it all. Listen to this from Romans 12, from the message paraphrase. This is Paul speaking about worship. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and then quickly respond to it. So let's head back to the story. Ruth is working hard for two crop harvests, basically the whole spring and into this early summer. She's out in the fields every day, and she's gained the favor of the boss, Boaz. So she and Naomi have enough to eat for now. But the harvest is going to be over, and Naomi's thinking ahead to the future. It turns out that Boaz is a relative of Naomi's family, and in that culture... Um, the family was obligated to care for widows, even to marry them to extend the family line and keep the family name. So Naomi comes up with this fairly elaborate plan for Ruth to send a message to Boaz that she is available for marriage. And I was thinking, as I read this story, you know, I know dating nowadays is a real challenge, but I'm really grateful we have a few more options than uh, what Ruth had to go through. So... Ruth follows Naomi's instructions step by step. You know, this is not her culture. These are not her rules, but she obeys every detail. The harvest is in, and and Boaz has been celebrating with all of his workers. And after a night out, he goes into the barn where all of his harvest is being kept. And he sleeps there. He's basically the security detail for his crop. So Ruth goes into the granary after he's asleep. She pulls the blanket off of his feet and then falls asleep. So Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night to find this woman asleep at his feet. Now, if this happened to you, what would you do? How quickly would 911 be called, right? If you found a strange woman asleep at your feet. But thankfully, Boaz doesn't view it as an emergency. He knows the the rules of that culture. And so he knows that Ruth is saying to him, I'm available for marriage. Uh, and, And he's really excited, actually. And he commits to her. He commits to working out all the details that very day. And as a really exciting engagement gift, he sends her like six pounds of barley. So I'm really glad we switched to diamonds at some point. (laughs) Um, So the third value that Ruth shows us is that worship is a life of obedience. Worship is choosing obedience. Ruth trusted that Naomi knew God's ways. 
So when Naomi directed her steps, she just committed to obedience. You know, I've been a worship leader for about 20 years, and I would say that obedience has been the value that has separated out um, worshipers who have lasted and those who have struggled and even fallen. Obedience is an indicator of where our hearts are. When God asks something of us, no matter how silly we might think it is, whether it makes sense to us, whether we know exactly how it's going to work out, we have a decision to obey or to not obey. And as every parent knows, delaying obedience is the same as disobedience. You know, we don't get a lot of insight into what Ruth's thinking here, but it must have been a little bit daunting. Hey, Ruth, I need you to sneak into a barn and you'll find your boss sleeping there. You know, just pull the blankets off his feet and go to sleep. If it all goes well, you're going to wake up with a great husband. If not, it's going to be a little awkward. Sorry. So she said, yes, she obeyed. And, and how about us? You know, where in our lives is God asking for obedience? Maybe it's an area of conviction, like God's putting his finger on something, a habit or a relationship that he wants to transform. Maybe for some of us moms out there, it's the obedience of trusting God with our kids, trusting him with their future, trusting that he really is in control and that he loves our kids completely and perfectly and we can release our children's lives to him. About 10 years ago, I was in Ethiopia by myself with our youngest son, waiting to be able to bring him home. I was really physically exhausted, emotionally overwhelmed. And even though God had written such an amazing story and had really clearly led our steps up until that point, and even though my husband and I had done lots of training and research and reading about transracial adoption and international adoption, there I was in, in the reality of a third world country with a child who was too young to be part of this decision And I knew that I was taking him out of his home culture, out of his birth heritage, into a wildly different culture and country, and into a white family. Was it right? Was it fair? Was it really the best thing for him? And as I was struggling with these thoughts, the Lord spoke to me so clearly in that moment. He said, Noel, this was not your idea. This was my idea. And there was so much relief and joy and freedom in that moment as I held my son and remembered that I was just obeying the Lord. I was just obeying the perfect and powerful father who had seen our little boy and knew that he needed this mom and this dad and this brother and sister and saw the four of us here in Ohio sorry, and knew that we needed each other, that we would never be the people that God had made us to be apart. So my worship was just obedience. It was just saying yes. And I'd also like to speak to you as just a worship pastor for a moment. Like you're all here, you've come, you've gathered to meet with God, but getting here is just the beginning of obedience, not the end. Worship is a choice. It's a choice to give God our whole attention our whole minds, all of our intellect, our bodies, our emotions. So I'd encourage you, when you come here, 
come with some questions. God, how can I obey you in worship today? How can I honor you? What's your opinion? What do you want of me today? You know, maybe these songs won't be your favorite or the volume will be too high or too low. Maybe songs will talk about raising our hands or bowing, and that would be a real stretch. But I just want to encourage you as a worship pastor, obey God in worship. In obedience, we find freedom. We find the power of the Holy Spirit. We find blessing. We find grace to keep obeying. Obedience releases the power of the kingdom of God. So let's finish Ruth's story. Boaz goes through all the legal hopes he needs to to be able to marry Ruth, take on her husband's land and name and make it all legit. He and Ruth get married and guess what? She is now able to conceive. So she has a son whose name is Obed and grandma Naomi jumps in right away and is like super grandma. So much so that like some people say it's her kid. (laughs) Um, So Obed grows up and he's the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. And that is the line of ancestors all the way to Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? So Ruth, who's a foreigner, who's new to the faith, um, who's an outsider, who was infertile, but who practiced faith, who practiced obedience, who practiced loving God in the ordinary, she's one of the ancestors of Jesus. And this leads us to our last value as worshipers. Worship is choosing awe. I love how this story wraps up. You know, it doesn't erase the pain. Naomi and Ruth still have experienced great loss and great tragedy. But God is a God who redeems. Listen to what the community of women say to Naomi. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. And that's a story of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the backbone of the vineyard movement. The kingdom of God is about making things new, making things right, restoring life, redeeming. It's slow and it's messy and sometimes it's discouraging. But when we do see God's kingdom break through, you know, in the, in the birth of these babies that we got to dedicate today, in the adoption of a foster child, in someone who's freed from addiction, in someone coming to faith in Jesus, when we learn how to forgive small things so then we can forgive big things, when we pray for someone to get healed and they actually really do get healed, when we experience and believe finally that the Lord really, really does love you. Those are glimpses of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God releases awe. It releases gratitude. You know, worship is all about awe. It's slowing down enough to remember, to remember who God is and what he's done for us. And I promise you that if you spend some time remembering who God is and what he's done in your life, it will inspire awe. It will inspire passion. It will inspire gratitude. It will inspire worship. 
You know, in closing our time together, I'd like to just speak a little bit about your inheritance in the vineyard. You know, this community has been adopted into the vineyard family. And I know a little bit about adoption. True adoption brings the full inheritance, the full birthright. You know, you don't have kids and adopted kids. You just have your children. Whatever I have is meant for my three children equally. And so just the same for you. You have the full rights to the inheritance and treasure of the vineyard, what God's blessed us with. And part of our treasure is in worship. You know, when the vineyard first started, people's lives were being changed just during worship times, during the singing People were being healed without anyone praying for them. Just as they worshiped, as they sang these simple songs, the power of the kingdom was breaking in. I've had the privilege of being mentored by a few of the people that were around in those early days. And they tell stories of people literally getting out of their cars and running, running into church so that they wouldn't miss a second of worshiping together. The vineyard is all about expectation. We expect to meet with God. We expect to experience the presence and power of God, even while singing simple songs. That's our DNA. That's our inheritance. But every generation has to choose to cultivate it, to invest in it. And I'd invite you, come, take your ordinary lives, just like Ruth, and spend them lavishly on Jesus in worship He's so worth it. Every good gift comes from the Father. So if you feel like you're lacking something, ask him. If you need faith, ask him. If you need grace to obey, ask him. If you need courage or passion or joy to worship him how he deserves, ask him for that. Ask him to awe you, to bring you to gratitude. And if you'll bring your everything every day and let the Holy Spirit fill you, and heal you and transform you so that with power you can take his kingdom out wherever you are. That is a life of worship and it's who we are made to be and it's what we are invited into. Would you stand with me? We're going to get the opportunity to to put this into practice, to worship together through music. And I just invite you as we sing these songs to to make them a prayer. You know, they have lyrics that talk about giving our everything, being overwhelmed with our love for the Lord. And maybe that's actually not quite where you're at. That's okay. Um, just ask God to, to make it your truth, to make it your honesty today. He'll give you those gifts. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcasts, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.